The title for this sermon is Stephen the Martyr. Stephen the Martyr. If you've not had the chance to meet, my name is Gage Henry, and a fun fact about me, earlier this year, I turned 30. I I don't know why I want y'all to clap for that, but it feels like an accomplishment. It's like I'm old enough, finally, to preach this word in front of you. And that's biblical. Numbers four, look it up. You had to be 30 to become a priest. It's not important, but it's kind of important to me. And here's the deal. I'm still young. I know that most of you in this room are like, man, you are so young. But last week, I had the first moment in my life where I realized, oh my goodness, I'm getting old. And you know what it was? I was sitting over there, I was worshiping, and this thought came into my mind. I said, it's kind of loud in here. <laughs> and I guarantee you that every person laughing is older than me in this room. You know what I'm talking about. You sit up here, you definitely feel it. And at this moment, I was like, oh no, it's happening. I'm getting older. I can't believe it. And then I started like playing my life back in my mind. You know, if you're older, you do this, where you're like, my goodness, I sigh when I sit down now. There's like little things you see. My son mimicked me the other day and it was like, oh no. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I used to love football. I used to love sports. And now my favorite sport is pickleball. All right. What's happening to me? And uh, my mother-in-law was at the last sermon and I'm actually um, excited because I'm playing a tournament with her and she's 60. Did I mention I'm excited about it? And so I was starting to feel old. And the reason why I'm telling you all this about 30 is because ironically, everyone in the story we're about to read is about 30 years old. Ironically, you have Saul, who's just become a priestly service, and at his hands, the death of a man named Stephen. And so I, in preparation for this sermon, was looking at different stories of martyrs that have occurred, different people who had died for their faith. And I came across this one that I thought was so fascinating. It was a man named James Chalmers. He was a Scottish missionary who decided to go to New Guinea to the people who are cannibals there on this island to proclaim the message of Jesus. So he goes around his late 20s. He spends over 20 years serving these cannibals and introducing them to Jesus when until he turned the age of 60 years old, he was actually put into death and eaten by these same cannibals that he was proclaiming the message to. But what's powerful about the story is that 40 years later, 40 years later, During World War II, some American fighter pilots are shot down. And when they land, they arrive at New Guinea. And they are welcomed by the arms of some people who live there who were known as cannibals. And they show them hospitality. And then these cannibals end up leading these American fighter pilots to Jesus. Because of the life and message of a man named James Chalmers 40 years earlier. Wow. And here's why I tell you that story is because you and I secretly know that won't be us. I mean that. I mean that you and I, when we read the story of Stephen the martyr and we think about people who have died for their faith, you and I have this realization where you're like, wait, I live in America in 2023. I'm literally, the worst thing that could happen to me on a Sunday is that Chick-fil-A is closed, all right? Like, as I think about my life, everything is not that bad. And so what happens is the story of Stephen the martyr becomes stuck in the pages of scripture instead of coming alive to us. But what if the way that he died, meaning Stephen, what if that could be imitated by all of us? And so two weeks ago, I preached a sermon called Worthy of Suffering, where I talked about how the apostles were beaten. And as they left, they rejoiced because they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And I thought about this, kind of coming up to this this moment here. This is kind of like part two, because the whole point of that sermon 
was that no matter what situation you're in, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what trial that you're going through today, none of that is proof that the enemy is winning your story. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the reminder that the enemy has already lost your story in Christ Jesus. That every bit of suffering that you experience, you could be considered worthy by the God of the whole story, even if you can't see what he's doing. And so what would be the final thing the enemy could throw at you? Death. Death. And so my argument today is I think that death is what produces the life you were created for. I think that today, through the life of Stephen, I'm going to argue that your life in God is connected to what you put to death in you. And what I mean by that, I love the woo, what I mean by that is that your life in God, meaning I am full of grace, I am full of the Holy Spirit, I am full of wisdom, I am full of power to live the life that Jesus died and rose for me to live, and... Not only that, I'm willing to put myself to death. I think theoretically, you and I, if I went around this room and I asked every single one of you, if you're a Christian in this room, would you be willing to die for Jesus? I think theoretically, all of us would say, yes, I am willing to die for Jesus. But practically, we're dying for the world. What I mean by that is I think our faith on the altar of more followers, our children's faith on the altar of our sports schedules and activities, our integrity on the altar for more money, more stuff. And I think without realizing it, we're actually dying for the world, not for Jesus. What if the Holy Spirit could call you back? Because in Stephen's life, he dies for a sermon. What sermon? What's the point of that sermon? We're gonna find out today is this little phrase that unlocks what he means. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna look at it together. If you have your Bible, again, turn back to Acts chapter six. There's a lot of verses that I'm not going to be able to go over today in the story of Stephen. We'll get into that in just a moment. But we're going to go back to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 8. It says this, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. I love that. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin and they produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Oh, powerful. So let's look back up. Verse eight, it talks about how Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, which, can I just make an observation? Why is it Stephen? If you remember last week, if you missed it, there's this moment where the apostles are like, we can't take care of all the different widows and the different responsibilities we have, and so they empower this man named Stephen. So why would Stephen now be the one, the first one to die for the message of Jesus? Meaning, why not Peter? 
Why not an apostle? Why Stephen? See, I think this is the genius of the way that Luke is telling the story. And I think this is the brilliance of who our God is. Our God decided that the first person who would die for the message of Jesus in the cross would be a member of the church. Think about this. It's not the person who's leading the movement who dies. It's not Peter. It's not the apostles. What he's saying, look at the life of Stephen. He's saying that somebody who is full of the spirit can do what? He was out there doing miracles, even though he wasn't an apostle. He was out there doing signs. He was doing wonders. He was just full of the Holy Spirit. And I think it speaks to all of us in this room. You have value in this church. You are a member of this body, which means you have a purpose in serving here, which means that there is more to life than just showing up here and consuming on a Sunday. And I love this. I love that our church and the church that Jesus Christ wants to build is built on empowering people, not following just a powerful pastor. I love that the church that God is building here is empowering us to step into the more that Jesus is inviting us into. And I love that Stephen, I know that's weird to say, I love that Stephen's the one, first one to die for the message. And so opposition arises and it says this in verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the spirit gave him as he spoke. He was getting wisdom as he's giving the message. And I'll get more into that in just a second. Verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Which you know the only other time in all of scripture where God decides to bestow his glory on the face of a mere man not named Jesus was Moses. He goes up the mountain he experiences the presence of God and he comes down and his face was glowing, was radiating with the presence of God on his face. And now here, the Sanhedrin are accusing Stephen of that very thing. They're saying, you're speaking words against Moses as he's sitting there with his face glowing just like Moses. You see the irony in that? And here he is with a message to preach. And again, Luke is brilliant because he's trying to continue the redemptive story from Old Testament to new. And this is the argument. He basically says, yeah, here is the argument. These charges are true. And he makes the argument with the wisdom that he speaks that Jesus was greater than Moses, that Jesus is God, that Jesus was greater than the temple, and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And the reason why the Sanhedrin is so upset is because their power is tested and threatened. They're mad because there's power involved here. The new system's being done away with. And so the response that he gives in the sermon, I'm not gonna have time, again, go read it this week with your family or, or by yourself. For 50 verses, he makes sure he communicates two things. That every time God gives a leader of his people a message, they reject it and go their own way. And every time they resist the Holy Spirit while doing it. Meaning that God's presence, the promise to them, was God's presence, not a place. And so what happens is he preaches this thing and he gives this like a good sermon uh, is. He has a good preacher, like I said. Like he ends with this one phrase that is the application point of the entire sermon. And it's this, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now pay attention to this. What he's saying is that the history of our people is that we always refuse to submit and obey the truth revealed by the Holy Spirit. So he uses our body as kind of an analogy. And I wrote this down this week to kind of help, but their ears did not hear the Spirit, their hearts did not receive the Spirit, and their necks did not bow or submit 
to the voice of the Spirit. That's what he's saying. And the reason why he uses that phrase, uncircumcised, isn't that a weird phrase to be using? Your hearts and your ears are uncircumcised. The reason why he uses that phrase is because circumcision is the outward symbol that you belong. What he's saying is, he's saying, you think you belong to God. But your hearts and your ears, they're actually uncircumcised, meaning you don't actually belong to God because you're resisting the Holy Spirit. He's making this point to make sure they understand their sin. And then verse 52, he says, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. They're talking about Jesus. You who have received the law that was given through the angels and have not obeyed it. In essence, he's saying, you killed your own Messiah. You killed your own Messiah because you were resisting the Holy Spirit. And when they hear this, just like Peter in the story earlier, verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious or cut to the heart with rage and gnashed their teeth at him. Which is such an interesting word phrase, but you need to know this, that Jesus, when he was teaching, the most common phrase that he used to describe hell is the gnashing of teeth. So what is being said here by Luke is that this is hell on earth. This is an absolute scene of hell. They're gnashing their teeth, ready to kill this man for the message that he is preaching. And you needed to know today that if you stepped into this space and you feel like you are in a season of hell on earth, you feel like you are experiencing a loneliness loneliness like never before, you're going through something that nobody saw coming. If you feel like today you are experiencing hell on earth, this is why you need a vision of Jesus. Because in the midst of this moment, Stephen looks up and he sees heaven where heaven is colliding with earth. So maybe just in our time right now, maybe you just need to close your eyes. Move the distraction, close your eyes. Just listen to these words that are spoken in the midst of this situation in this scene. Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Can you see this? Can you picture it? Can you picture it for your life and my life? That there is a vision of heaven that can transform the hell on this earth that you experience. That hell and heaven do collide in the person of Jesus on the cross. And you can actually know this Jesus. But here's what happens. I think that Jesus is standing for two reasons. I think number one, I think he's the judge over all. He's Lord over all which means he's standing saying, you guys think you're judging, but I'm the true judge. And I also think he's standing not to affirm Stephen in front of all of these men. I think he's standing to affirm Stephen in front of God. It says that he intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of the father, which means I think he's standing up there and he's standing in solidarity with his friend. This is the most intimate moment you can imagine. Imagine imitating Christ leads to your intimacy with Christ. And that's what we're seeing here on display. And at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. But meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And we read that earlier. Now think of the power of the gospel. Think about the message of Jesus, that here Jesus is standing as a disciple of his, is imitating him unto his very last breath and his last words. 
And Stephen's death by the hands of this young man named Saul, who we're going to eventually know as Apostle Paul, writes most of the New Testament. And Saul is holding the coats for the people, which means Saul is the one in authority over the moment that's happening. They're laying their coats by him so they don't get blood on their coat as they stone this man. But think about this. Saul watches this man bow before his king, offer up a prayer to his Lord Jesus as he's standing there with the heavens open and he says, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. In the same way, Jesus did the same thing where he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit, which is Psalm 31. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this is the story that's been played out over and over and over again in the lives of every single believer. And I look at this and I think, whoa, this is the gospel invitation for all of us. God is this good. And so with that being said, I like to think that after Saul becomes the apostle Paul and begins to spread the message of Jesus, you know he's beheaded at the end of his life. And I like to think that Stephen would be standing there in heaven, cheering him on as he gives up his final breath, welcoming him in to the gates of heaven, even though he was the very one who killed him. Because that's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel that every single person in this room, guy or girl, within the sound of my voice, every single one of us is responsible for the death of Jesus because of our sin. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To live is Christ, to die is gain, to him be the glory forever. You and I are invited into the ultimate story. And it's a story not about you, but about Jesus. And when this happens to us, we get to realize, oh my goodness, this is not a new story. This isn't new. Jesus did this. And now Stephen is imitating him unto his final breath and words. He says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says, don't hold this sin against them. You and I have no idea that maybe the way that Stephen died is our invitation into daily life. Because Jesus invites us into that same story. How do I know this? Let's look at verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So this is how you can make Stephen's death the reality of your daily life, is that I think that Jesus calls us into more in himself And so point number one is commit your spirit to Jesus. Commit your spirit to Jesus. And I think what I mean by that is a daily discipline of you saying out loud to the God of the universe saying, Jesus, I commit my spirit to you. And when I say that, I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, this is a little pastor joke, but there's a BC gauge, you know what I mean? Before Christ gauge. But there's also a uh, BC gauge meaning like before coffee gauge. Anybody else? Um, That was just as bad as a dad joke, so I'm glad it didn't work here. Um, But there's a spirit in all of us when we wake up, right? I don't know what your spirit is. I know what mine is. My spirit wakes up and it thinks selfish. It thinks sinful. I wake up a little bit sometimes cynical. I wake up anxious, a little spirit of anxiety, a little spirit of fear for the day, a little spirit of what people will think about me for the day. And What if you woke up and you said, Lord Jesus, I commit my spirit to you? Because I think too many of us have accepted the life that Jesus offered us without embracing the death that he required of us. We accepted all the good things that Jesus offered us, all the benefits of following him, but we don't want to embrace the death to self. What I mean by that is I think a lot of us, when we were young, I was this way. I prayed a prayer. I was saved. We say, we were saved. That's what I say to people. Yeah, I was saved when I was seven years old in that Baptist church, in Rawls Street Baptist Church. 
We say that phrase, but what we don't realize is that you were saved, but you're also being saved. Meaning you're stepping into a relationship with God and a lot of us have disconnected from the reality of the cross. We don't see the link between death and life. So what if, what if the cross for you was not just this place that was like the substitution for you? He died in your place or just the transaction where he took on your sins and that way he gave us his righteousness. And what if the cross was the daily invitation that you are supposed to pick up? Because that's what Jesus said. He said for us to take up our cross daily and walk with him. Maybe the cross is the space he's inviting you into, the death to self that actually leads to real life. Because your life in God is connected to what you put to death in you. And the Holy Spirit wants to make you come alive into more of him. And so we have to commit our spirit to Jesus. And what I mean by that, again, once I, I said this earlier, but I think we've refused to give up what the cross condemns. I think a lot of us refuse to give up what the cross condemns. You know what committing your spirit to Jesus looks like? It means your thoughts look different. It means that when you're committing your spirit to Jesus, a life full of the Holy Spirit means that you are thinking of the knowledge of God. You are focused on the goodness of God. It means your eyes are fixed on other people instead of on yourself. It means your ears are open to hear whatever God wants to say to you. It means that your mouth doesn't speak gossip or slander or cursing. It speaks life to other people. It means your feet are fit, ready with the gospel of peace to take it to the nations or even just your neighbor. It means that you have hands that are open to receive people, but it also means you have hands open to ready to forgive people. It means when you are committing your spirit to Jesus, it means that he gives you his. The Holy Spirit fills you. And maybe that's why so many of us are so miserable because we're trying to live a life for Jesus without committing our spirit to him. Yeah. It's so challenging. So we're gonna do that. And um, I just think, I gotta say it, I think this is more for me than anyone else. I think too many of us are just content with looking godly rather than being holy. I think too many of us are content with looking godly rather than being holy. And what I mean by that is I think so many of us are willing to read our Bible and do all the right things and live a godly life, yet we're not willing to put to death the sinful self. And let me explain what I, what I mean. Godliness is good, trust me, it's amazing. Doing all those things are amazing, but godly is all about output. Holiness is all about input. Holiness is being set apart. It's being different, it's being pure. Do you know there's an entire book in the Bible called Leviticus, which is laws to protect God's people from death and decay because they didn't want their soul to get to that place? And we, let me just be honest, we in the modern church in 2023 have swung the exact opposite way. You'll be here serving. You'll be here reading your Bible. You'll be talking about all the things that Jesus is doing in your life. Yet, if I were to go look at your Netflix, Netflix queue, the things you're watching, the music you're listening to, the social media accounts that you follow, if I were to look at your life, man, we've gone a long way for making sure that we're not impure. We think that we can live this life for Jesus and be godly and all these things. And then we're wondering why we're dying inside and anxiety is creeping up and fear is happening. It's because the inputs that we have, and I am not trying to tell you this to shame you. This is something that I feel like God is dealing with me in this way. And I just think that the time is now for God's people to be holy again. I think it's time for us to stop resisting the Holy Spirit and what he's calling us into. And it's a death to self. And again, I'm speaking to myself and I got to tell this story because y'all are here today. But I was DJing a wedding last weekend, which don't clap, don't clap for that. It's horrible. <laughs> but I was DJing a wedding and uh, I was picking songs and I was enjoying the time. And it's actually for one of our elders' daughters. So she's getting married. It's an amazing moment. It's really powerful. Jesus is exalted and centered. And I'm sitting there picking songs. 
And I'm thinking about this message, actually. I'm daydreaming about what I'm supposed to preach about the following week. And then I pick a song that I love from my childhood called Yeah by Usher. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm not alone. All right. Early 2000s R&B really made sense to middle school gauge. Okay, confessions. Um, part two is the best one. But so this, this song is playing. And I can't mention any of the lyrics in that song because I love my job and I don't want to lose it. But I had this moment where I'm like thinking and praying about like, God, what do you want to say to your people in just a few weeks or next week? And, and then I hear the lyrics and it was like I had this out of body moment where I'm like, what am I doing? Like this is supposed to be Jesus' ex exalting moment. This is marriage, this is wedding. And here I am playing Yeah by Usher thinking, oh my goodness, what, where have I gone? And so I, I think Paul says it a lot better than I would, but he says it this way in Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so my question I've been asking myself recently to try to make sure, I'm like, what are my godly inputs? I'm so aware of him. Is can I thank God for this? Can I thank God for this show? Can I thank God for this music? Can I thank God for this relational dynamic that I have with this person. Can I thank God for this? Because I think God's calling us to be holy once again. So what else does Stephen do? Verse 60, he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. So this is the second part of that. Point one is commit your spirit to Jesus. Point two is carry his spirit of forgiveness. Carry his spirit of forgiveness. So if you remember earlier, Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. So he has this inward posture towards Jesus at the end of his life where he says, Jesus, I commit my spirit to you, receive my spirit. But then he also has this outward posture of do not hold these sins against them, the ones who are throwing the stones. And so imagine you waking up with these two realities. Imagine you wake up and you say, Lord Jesus, I give you my spirit. And then every single person you encounter that day, you said, do not hold this sin against them. Imagine if you carry the spirit of forgiveness. Because for me, when I look at this story, one of the greatest reminders for me of why that matters is that Saul was watching. St. Augustine says it this way, if Stephen would not have prayed, the church would not have Paul. If Stephen would not have prayed, the church would not have Paul. One of the most challenging realities, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, is somehow reconciling how your forgiveness of others is connected to your intimacy with God. There's a link between the two. Just like there's a cross, I'm connected to God, there's a link between you and others. And when I look at the life that Stephen dies in his final moments, he, he dies with forgiveness on his lips and love in his heart. And how many of us are holding on to the bitter root of unforgiveness? Well, if you just knew my story, if you just knew how I'd been hurt, you would understand exactly why I know. But yet, even the person throwing a stone at Stephen, he goes, do not hold this sin against them. What if, church, we carried a spirit of forgiveness? Because I believe that committing your spirit to Jesus is how the Holy Spirit does a deep work in you, but carrying his spirit of forgiveness is how he does a deep work through you. Maybe you're meant to forgive because God wants to use it for an impact. He wants to transform their heart. What does it look like for you to carry a spirit of forgiveness? Because all of us have a Saul watching. And so the last thing I'll say just about this text is the very end, you see where it says fell asleep? Isn't that weird to anybody else? Where it says, he didn't say he died. It didn't say that he breathed his last like Jesus. It says he fell asleep. Well, in the Greek, there's this word uh, koimaterion, which is like in your house, you would have a sleeping place. 
It's why we have the word cemetery. It's because so many early Christians were dying for what they believed, they started burying them all together in the same graveyard. And they said, oh, that's a cemetery. That's a sleeping place because Jesus is coming back. That's the place where they're going to be resurrected from. And so there's this moment. Why does he say, fell asleep? Well, it took me back to Jesus' life where he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, which is Psalm 31, which took me back to David's life and reading about the Psalms. And I discovered that this phrase is actually a common Jewish lullaby. Meaning you would go to sleep as somebody would say this or speak this over your life, saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. As they would lay you down. I think that Luke is purposefully drawing from the image of a loving father. I think, quite literally, that as Jesus is standing there in heaven, watching Stephen, gnashing of teeth, hell on earth, as he's watching Stephen give up his last breath, I think he wants you to think about the fact that he's being held and rocked by a loving father. That in this last moment where you would say, man, hell won, the enemy won, he's saying, no, my arms are engulfing my son. Stephen, did you know the name Stephen? You know what it means? It means victor's crown. The name Stephen means victor's crown. It's almost like Jesus was standing there in heaven and Stephen who falls to his knees, bows before his king and it's like he is knighting him, putting a crown of life over him. This is the gospel. This is the power of death that we are invited into. So when you imitate Jesus, you might not even know the impact that your life has on others. So this is where I actually was supposed to finish my sermon. And this is the moment where I was going to end and I could have spent more time and some point or whatever. And this week, I felt more confident than ever about how the next few minutes are supposed to go. And I feel like the Holy Spirit has been doing something in me that I can't really describe. And two weeks ago, I can, I can tell you the emotion was real. And I don't know why. I don't know why. But I feel like the next few minutes, I've never been more confident in saying the truth that I'm supposed to say in the next few minutes. So if you'd be willing to go there with me, I just want to go there. And so a few weeks ago, like I, I said, I, I shared the story of what happened about three months ago. I was in a car accident. My whole face was shattered and I lost uh, all kinds of feeling in my face. My top lip is numb. So I've actually been nervous this whole time talking that my tongue continues to stick to the roof of my mouth. It, it's why I continue to slur words at times and it feels that. It's because my tongue is numb up there. And also I have 30 screws in my face. I have five plates that were put there. I don't know if you can really even tell, but that's what happened. And so that's what happened a few weeks ago. And as I was thinking and preparing about all of this, this, this sermon, I was thinking about why God? Why now? Why do you have our church in this positional place of suffering and pain and loss? And why are people dying all around me left and right? And why are diagnoses happening? And why am I the one standing here today that's supposed to preach your word about the first guy to ever give his life for you in service of you in the church? And I felt like God most clearly gave me something that I just didn't think I was going to share until earlier, a couple days ago. And it's this, I made a joke about it that I was 30. Everyone in the story is 30. And after the accident, I felt like God told me to go read Ezekiel, which everybody avoids Ezekiel, if we're honest, because it's kind of weird and there's a lot of imagery. And I don't know why, I felt so led to read it. And this is what Ezekiel 1 says. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So in my 30th year, I'm 30. Well, the fourth month on the fifth day, in the Jewish calendar, is June. Maybe July, probably June. So my 30th year, here I am, I'm standing preaching about the heavens that are opened. What happens to Ezekiel is that he sees the glory of God, he falls face down, and the Spirit of God speaks to him and says this, Son of man, 
Stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. Which mirrors Stephen's life. Did you know this? That Stephen, is this is the only time in all of the New Testament that someone not named Jesus says the phrase son of man. When he looks up and he sees Jesus standing there. And so my eyes, like you can imagine, got like this big. I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to give to me to give to the people of our church? What do you want to say? And just as a disclaimer, I got to tell you, this is not what you should do when you read the Bible. Like you shouldn't read yourself into the Bible. There's a real purpose behind the Bible. But I will tell you this, that the God's word is living and active. It means that he can speak to you from the little details that you read about. He can speak to you from the most unexpected places. And so I felt led to go to him. I'm like, God, what does it mean with Ezekiel? And we find out that Ezekiel is known as a watchman, which is such a weird phrase. And again, I was not planning on sharing this. And then this week, a lady from our prayer team texts me and says, I had a dream about you last night, which is weird until you realize they're on the prayer team. And you're like, okay, this is, this is probably good. And she continues to tell me what happened. She said, I can't explain to you all the details of everything that's going on, but there's all these different characters. And I was like, what do you, why are you telling me? Like, what do you think this means for me? And she goes, I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to tell you by God that you are a watchman this week. And I was like, oh my goodness, Lord. So I go back to Ezekiel and I keep reading. And then I find some details that are just jumping off the page to me. Like this one, I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. So you mean like 30 screws and like five plates hard? Okay, cool. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth. Okay, you mean like when I slur my words and I'm embarrassed by it? Okay, and then he says this, go out to the plain and there I will speak to you. I don't know, maybe the loveliest little village on the plains, (laughs) Auburn. And what does he tell Ezekiel to do? He tells Ezekiel to eat the scroll of woe, lament, mourning, suffering, fully digested, and he's given a message. You want to know what the message is? It's the exact same message that Stephen gives. The message is this. He says, tell people to turn from evil ways in order to save their life. And then he says, later on, he says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. The message that Ezekiel is given is stop resisting the Holy Spirit. That's the message. I wanna give you a new heart. So look up at me and and pay attention here. I don't know why. I don't know why I happen to be 30 years old and I happen to be opening God's word in the month of June and I happen to be telling you all these things. I don't know why we're experiencing all this pain in our community. I don't know why we happen to, on this random flip through of Acts, somehow land on Stephen as this week that has the exact same vision as Ezekiel. But here's what I do know. I do know that God wants to wake us up to the life that he wants us to live. I do know that God wants to give some of you who have a heart of stone, a heart of flesh again. I know that some of you, even in this room right now, I think that the Holy Spirit is doing something in this room in such a way to give you the reality that you were made for, to put a new spirit in you. And so I believe right now that God has positioned this church in such a place to fill the people of God for something more. I believe that God wants us to commit our spirit to Jesus again and say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do. I believe that God wants to give you new dreams, you new visions for what it means to advance the kingdom of God here on planet earth. I believe that you have the invitation just like me into the more of life.
this is available to you. I have put a new spirit in you, God says. So you can experience new things. And so what I'm trying to say is that the time is now for the people of God to be holy again. The time is now to stop resisting the Holy Spirit and respond in obedience that you know he's calling you into. And so I believe, like I said, I'm alive today, standing on this stage with a very simple message. It's the same message that Stephen the martyr died for. It's the same message that Ezekiel suffered for. And it's the same message that Jesus proclaimed. And it's this, repent, turn from your evil ways. The kingdom has come near. Receive this new heart available to you. Receive my Holy Spirit so you can live the life you were created for. This is what it means to put to death the old self and come alive to the real self. That's the life that I want. And I think that's the life that many of you want. And so in, in closing, I just wanna say this. I wanna read back over and clarify something that I read earlier and I just felt like the tone was not proper. And it's verse 51, he says this, you stiff necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So I think I read that the first time I read that and I was like, you stiff necked people. Like Stephen is like hitting them over the head. But then I kept reading, I'm like, wait a second. Stephen, it says, is full of grace. He's full of power, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. And I believe he is saying those words overflowing with love as his face is radiating the glory of Jesus. And what he's saying, he's saying, you don't have to be like your fathers. He's saying, you don't have to be like your ancestors. You don't have to resist the Holy Spirit. And so I just got to look at some of you and say it just directly. Just look at me on the screen. Just look at me right now. You don't have to be like your dad who resisted the Holy Spirit, who kept up the front of nonchalance toward the things of God. You don't have to be like your mom who was more worried about looking godly than being holy. It means you don't have to resist the Holy Spirit. So I just got to tell you right now, just look at me, just a few more moments. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin, today is the last day that you live in darkness. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you and wanting you to call out and confess what has been going on in your life, today is the last day you do it. If the Holy Spirit has been convicting you of unforgiveness towards your parents, call them today. I'm begging you. If the Holy Spirit is doing something in you, maybe today is the last day you stay, you stay stuck in the muck and the mire of the hell that is this earth without Jesus. And you say, God, I want a vision of you. I'm willing to cast my crown. I'm willing to lay down what was, I thought, the real life for you. Jesus, you are the treasure. Because if you know the story, what happens? He dies, Stephen dies. It says he falls asleep but I believe he received his victor's crown because Revelation 2.10 says it this way, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna experience what it means to fully resurrect our lives by going there in death with Jesus. And so honestly, this is the 11, so I'm just gonna do it anyways. I think that this might be a time where some of you in this room, you need to come down here and there are pastors and prayer people who'll be willing to pray over you out of the hurt and the pain that you've been experiencing recently. I think some of you need to say that. You need to physically respond. 
I think that some of you in the next few minutes, as we take communion, you need to pray like you've never prayed over your spouse and believe something for more for your kids. I think right now, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we can step into the life that's truly life. So you can go ahead and take out your elements. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand and we have volunteers that will bring one to you. And I just wanna set up a moment. I think the best part about what I get to do up here is that it's not about what I'm doing up here. It's about what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. And so right now, I just want you to ask the question, God, what does death require of me? You died and made a way to my heavenly father. So God, what does that require of me? And so in this time, I would love for you to do that. Again, husband's prayer of your wives. If you're not a believer in Jesus, just put that under your seat. But this would be an amazing time to reconcile the relationship that you have with him. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would seal this moment, this time. Heavenly Father, I thank you that for some reason you want to speak to people directly in their space today. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would invade lives. Father, I pray for the hurting girl right now who has a hard time looking at you because of her father. I pray for the couple that just lost a baby. I pray for the couple that just got the cancer diagnosis. I pray for those who are watching their parents die right in front of their eyes. They wouldn't look at that as a loss, but Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would continue to move in power. You would ignite us, set us on fire. Holy Spirit, breathe wind on that flame. In Jesus' name, amen. Take this time, we'll worship in just a moment.